We are sliding past 7 o'clock and sliding right into Ira on Sports. 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So much to talk about, Ira. You know, a lot of people around the country consider this the slow time for sports. You know, we're, we're coming into a couple of weeks here where storylines are what's going to drive our interest. And there's been nothing short of storylines uh, all across the, the world of sports in, in these past couple of days. We have so much to talk about. Um, for one, I, I do want to talk about AD. I also want to talk about Kawhi Leonard and how he cements himself. Where were you, first and foremost, though? It's, I think it's a bucket list item for so many people across the country. So what have you been up to? One of the greatest basketball games, Game 6, NBA Finals, and then three days of the U.S. Open trying to walk around Pebble Beach. So I got to see Pebble Beach first time ever, uh, this historic U.S. Open, and also games, uh, Game 6 of the NBA Finals. You know, all of the rest of us normal people have been watching at home and hearing from the commentators and all the sports writers about how beautiful and amazing Pebble Beach is. So I can't wait to get, you know, the inside info on that. Um, we're also going to talk a lot of basketball tonight. You've got two great guests lined up as well. First is going to be Richard Shore. Uh, tell us about him at 745. He's a top orthopedic surgeon. He's been um, uh, the team. He was a team doctor for 20 years in the NBA. Mm -hmm. So a lot we've heard a lot on the radio about. Uh, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, should the Warriors have played him? Should they not played him? Everything about it. I haven't heard doctors go on and, and actually give their impression. No, not at all. <laughs> and this isn't just a doctor. He was a team doctor uh, for the NBA for 20 years. So I think he's going to give his uh, opinion of what went on and certainly things maybe he had to experience with terms of teams, if teams pressured him to play somebody or what the, the fans did and those things. I think it's going to be a great perspective. I talked to Richard earlier, and I think he's, he's going to be have some great insights. It, you know, and I think over the course of the last – my life, definitely, but over the course of the last decade, injuries have changed. An ACL used to be 16 to 18 months you were out of the league. Now it seems like six to eight months, these guys are back ready to go. So it'll be great to hear um, Dr. Richard Shore's take on what's going to happen across the NBA and other landscapes as we look forward towards injuries. Then we've had him on before. It's John Graham at 755. Tell us about him. Um, he is one of the top putting gurus. Uh, he was there at the Pebble Beach. He has been. Uh, he works with uh, like Charles Howe III and many of the top pros in terms of putting. He has a top putting school, so he's a putting expert and uh, Definitely would like to get his opinion on uh, Gary Woodland's victory mm -hmm. against over Brooks Kepka in the Pebble Beach. You were there, so it's not the same. But watching on TV, Gary Woodland and Brooks Kepka are extremely similar. It was difficult watching on TV. Going back and forth, you look up quick. They both have the same build, kind of same jawline, uh, complexion. You'd keep thinking that it, you know, one could have been the other if it wasn't for the um, separate clothes. But the story across the line of sports is. AD, Anthony Davis getting traded to the Lakers. We were sitting here a week ago, and I was saying, you know, did, did you ever envision that? Well, we were going to see Golden State with their back to the wall. And obviously we saw what happened there. Kawhi Leonard proved that he's one of the maybe best two players on the planet at this point. I didn't see this one coming, but you did. And you'd said you thought that this was going to happen to the Lakers. It happened faster than I thought. So what's your initial takes on... Uh, the new quote super team forming for the Lakers. Well, I I played the tape. I went back and I did say that Anthony Davis because my friends, I have friends who said, "Well, you didn't predict it," and I, because I thought it was clear that he was capping. I thought it would happen on uh, Monday because they weren't. You're not allowed to announce anything during the NBA Finals. It's like a moratorium on any mm -hmm. announcements of anything. No firing coaches, not signing, nothing. So the point was that it had to happen in the NBA Finals. But 
New Orleans wanted to make this trade before the draft. The draft is on Thursday because they wanted to then bring in the the the, um, the draft player, the projected players, to see you know, if they're going to draft them or not mm-hmm. and whether it's Garland or whatever. So they needed time. It couldn't be done on Wednesday. It couldn't be done on Tuesday. It had to be done as soon as possible. So once the NBA finals ended, I figured that trade was going to happen any day as soon as possible. Um, it was going to happen because this was supposed to happen last year. This trade should have happened in probably February before the trade. Looking back, it should have. Yeah. And Dell Demps for New Orleans, who no longer is the general manager and Magic Johnson of the Lakers, who is no longer the general manager, tried to get this deal together. But New Orleans didn't want to make the trade because New Orleans was upset that they felt they were getting uh, gun to the head almost type of feeling making that mm-hmm. trade. They had to, they did, they wanted, they felt like the, they had no other choice. The Lakers were putting too much pressure. They were leaking all these things. So they decided to leak everything. They sabotaged the Lakers season <laughs> because they yeah. let everybody know what was going to happen. And, uh, and they, so, and their season was disastrous because everyone knew Davis wanted to be traded. And so it was just a mess for both teams. Dell Dumps is fired. David Griffin, who was LeBron's general manager at Cleveland comes in mm-hmm. and he doesn't really, he's like, I'm going to make the best deal. Now at at this point, everyone said, well, we could go to the Knicks. But you knew after the draft, when the Lakers got that fourth pick, it was done. Because there's nothing with the Knicks. The Knicks, Knicks had the third pick, but the Knicks' third pick is, is, is with no other players. The Lakers mm-hmm. could get, they give them Lonzo Ball, Jason Hart, Brandon Ingram, who were both, Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball were the top second, five picks. Yeah. Top two, two and three. Picks. Oh, they're top both two. two. Picks. Okay. Two picks. I thought Ingram, oh, I thought Ball was three. He was yeah. two. So they were, they were, they were two picks. So they had those picks, plus you have now the fourth Crazy. pick. And it was, it was, <laughs> that was the trade. And there was nothing. And, and Boston, all Boston did was drive the price. Boston was not going to bring in Anthony Davis for a year and try it out with, with Kawhi Leonard and do it for one year and do it because it looks like Kawhi is going to go. It was great for Toronto. Toronto needed to win a title, their first title. Boston isn't looking for one title. They're looking for multiple titles. And this what didn't make sense. They think Jason Tatum's a star. And they're not going to make that trade. So all Boston did was drive up the Lakers trade. I'm driving in today listening to another show, and they're criticizing Danny Ainge. For what? Danny Ainge wins every yeah, well, trade he makes. He's He, he got Carnet. He didn't want a one-year rental he for didn't Tatum. Want, he, didn't want, he didn't want a one-year rental, and I don't think Anthony Davis was not. Anthony Davis made it perfectly clear. Kawhi Leonard was hinting that he might not want it for the Clippers. Anthony Davis has made it crystal, crystal clear he's only signing with the Lakers. I don't know how much clearer he can make it except wearing Lakers hats all the time, <laughs> but he wants to play for the Lakers. So that was clearly drove down the value for him. But still, New Orleans did a great job for getting a great haul, considering there was no one else they were going to trade it to. That was what. Now, the Knicks the Knicks had nothing to offer. What other players? Once what the, could the Knicks give? Once the Knicks the traded pay. Porzingis, they had nothing else to trade. Yeah. And so this was, a, this, this was a trade that both teams had to make. It should have been made before. And, uh, and it Really, I was the only good thing for the Lakers. They got to keep Kyle Kuzma in the trade. They didn't trade him, but for the because he was on the table during the season. Good thing they kept Kuzma. They, they at least have another player because they have no other really players under contract besides those two plus Kuzma and uh, and uh, so that. But I feel that now the result of this is that people so I thought it was the trade that had to be made there was no other way he was going to go and they weren't going to sit another year they're like oh wait they, New Orleans was not going to sit another year they have all this positive energy about Zion coming he's number one pick everything's great about this Zion 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 they're not going to have Anthony Davis there who doesn't want to be there they want to they want to be going looking forward and David Griffin has total control of the operation now he made the trade it was a great trade for them and the Lakers had to make this trade because they've been criticized for not making it last year <laughs> and Anthony Davis wanted to go there so it's a win it's one of these trades, we talk about this all the time. Everyone's looking for winners and losers on trades. I, I think it, sometimes you make trades that it's best for both teams. You know what? I was going to ask you that coming up in the show, but you brought it up now. I agree with you. And honestly, if I'm a Pelicans fan, I love this trade. What's not to like? I mean, you got. I'm not saying that, um, you know, Lonzo Ball is a great player, but he's not a bad player. He's been really hurt. They could. 
like you said, two top two picks, the first and the fourth pick here in, in this draft, for a guy who is leaving anyways. I almost consider the Pelicans to be the winner here, considering he was walking anyways. What's interesting for the Pelicans is that they got three players in Hart, uh, Ingram, and Ball. One of those three players could become an NBA, uh, like a maybe top, you know, maybe one of the top NBA All Stars. So there's a chance they're all very young, and they both could be one of those three. So you now have a chance on three players. They're 21 great. years old. It's right. crazy. And, and yeah. I, I like Ingram had flashes last year. He was tremendous, and he's improving. They're both very. All three are young. Ball had a weird situation. Now he's going to be out of the spotlight. He's going to be in New Orleans. He's going to be playing with. Zion. I mean, there's a lot going on in terms of how this was done. They have a chance to make it. And Anthony Davis is injury prone. The, he has played the most. Yeah. Amount of games. I mean, the last is is like seventy games, and he every year he's playing 54, 60, 62. It looks like that's what the NBA players play. But I think that that I think that this was a trade that they might we'll see four years from now when Anthony Davis is not playing or injured or whatever, and uh, and they one of these players if they if one of these players develops a great plus they have the draft pick if if Garland I think they're gonna pick Garland of of. Uh, Vanderbilt, if he's as good as I as people think he could be, like he's like a Dwayne Wade type mm-hmm. of guard, and he was hurt. He didn't play all last year, and they said if he would have played this year, he might have been the second pick in the draft. So if you're happy with your New Orleans and the Lakers are a win now, they don't, LeBron doesn't want any young players around him except Kuzma. He actually liked Kuzma, mm. so this is exactly what the Lakers want. There's a lot of players too. You know, th- this changed the landscape of basketball, of course. So we're looking around at who the free agents are, and besides the Kemba Walkers of the league, there's a lot of good B-level players available that they could bring in. To you know, they, they, it was patchwork last year. Rajon Rondo, Javale McGee, they were throwing stuff against the wall. I think they could, if they're smart, build a nice little team here, Ira. So the, to my next question, where does the Lakers stand for you if you were a betting man? to win the championship next year. Um, no, I think it's still a struggle. It's still a, they, look. They're, they're the favorite be, in Vegas. They're, favor, they're, they're a heavy favorite. But if you looked at how Denver played again, I, we talked about this last year. Look at young players. Look at their development. Adipenko, Giannis for uh, for yeah. for Milwaukee last year. I said he's going to get better. He got a lot better. You were right. And yeah. Jokic next year from Denver is going to get a lot better. Mm-hmm. These are your teams are young. Portland next year is going to be. I was going to say strong. you think Portland's Portland, a better team. Nursik is going to be back with Lillard and McCollum. Like they're going to be back. And you think Houston? Houston should have been. I mean, Houston's going for it all too. I mean, these teams are better, and they've been playing, and they've been through the wars. Yeah. You saw with Miami, put Wade, Bosch. It took a year, and they were Wade and LeBron were in their primes. They were the two best players in basketball they put together, <laughs> and Bosch was maybe the fifth best player in basketball. And they still, and they were in the East, which was an which was technically fair. They were beating. It was easier. They were yeah. easier. They were playing a b- older Boston team that mm-hmm. wasn't as talented, and they were definitely a heavy. And they were so. I, I think that in essence, that the Lakers are going to have a lot of trouble. Lakers are going to maybe be a third, fourth seed, but it's not the looking how Denver played this year and look Portland played this year and and certainly Houston and then Golden State if they get Durant back and they get Clay and they get Curry then I they they're I put them as favorites against the Lakers also if they're healthy I, I'm with you I'm putting yeah Denver Portland I don't Golden think I don't think the Lakers is, is a good bet the, the bet would have been the Lakers like at the end of last year when they were like 15 to 16 or 20 to 1 for next year then mm-hmm. maybe get that bet and then sell it for this but I don't think they're a good bet now the team when I look at the Warriors at 14 to 1 14 to 1 for the Warriors if they all come back i mean that's amazing they've been they were like two to one when this year season started and we've seen it 
proven in this league before where the Boston Celtics, after their first title, finished eighth. They were the eighth seed and then won the title again. You just got to be in the dance. And Clay Thompson will be healthy by then. And Durant, we don't know. We'll talk to John Graham at 755. I'm sorry. We'll talk to Richard Shore at 745 to see you know, if, that, if that's something that could be feasible for next year because I think it will. It's 717. You're listening to Iron Sports. This is 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Before we move into the games you attended, I've been meaning to ask you this for weeks, and it's really come to light in the past two or three. You're an insider, especially when it comes to NBA. How much fake news do you think there is? How the, We're learning more and more about GMs and insiders spreading rumors to either help other help their franchise hurt other franchises. How prevalent do you think this is in the NBA? Oh, I think it's very prevalent in terms of what I think you're seeing rumors left and right that could be true, not true, and I think you're seeing it left all over the place. And I wanted to jump to the whole Durant thing with with how Golden State handled it. I I I I don't like how they handled him at all, and I'm not the playing because I think that's been the topic. We're going to ask Dr. Shore about that, but I just think when he hurt his calf, they probably should have said, now Kerr came out and said, we really thought he'd be back for maybe game five of the finals, but they mm-hmm. didn't want to say it then. Well, why didn't they? Why didn't they just say what they had with Cousins or Looney? Each of those players got hurt. They're like, they're out for the playoffs. If, they could, if it's a miracle, they could come back earlier. They should have taken the pressure off Durant and not had this any game now. He could be better. We're not sure. Any game. They should have said, look, he's out and he might come back. Now, if they're us- was, were using that to make Toronto confused, that's a bad strategy because it put extra pressure on Durant. It put extra pressure on the team. I don't like the fact that they were saying that at all. And when Bob Myers came out after Durant hurt himself with Crockett with those tears, now some people say Crocodile careers, whatever, <laughs> but he was crying saying, if you want to blame anyone, blame me, blame me for this. Well, I blame you not for Durant getting injured because I think Durant looked at it. He has his own doctors, own advisors. People made the decision and that's why he decided to play. And these are what these guys, these are players. They play at the NBA Finals. It's not like what he played in the regular season. I, look, players in football, we know they go out with torn everything just to apply mm-hmm. to play to win games. So I'm, I think that people were too, they're critical of Durant, critical of the Warriors. Crit- I'm critical of the Warriors on one respect is that Bob Myers should have given that talk two weeks ago because Durant was getting criticized then. He said, look, this guy wants to play. He is a heart. He wants to play. He should have said that two weeks before. He goes, let him alone. If he, he's working, his, he's in the training room 24 hours a day trying mm-hmm. to get better. That's what he should have said. Not wait till after he got hurt and say, oh, people are so mean to Durant. Well, they were mean to him two weeks ago. Defend your player. <laughs> Defend your player two weeks ago. Don't do it now. And I think it would have been a lot less pressure if they would have did with Looney. When they said Looney was out, certainly Looney's playing. They said they And they also said with uh, Cousins, Cousins was out. Not going to play in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Then he came back. That's It's so easy to say someone's out and bring him back early than say, oh, any day. So you're just waiting for him to come back. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Everyone keeps asking the team. Too much of a distraction. I thought it was a bad mistake. On it, it was the least transparent I've ever seen an injury played out on that scale. You know, NFL, you'd be fined heavily for something like that, the way they kind of just weren't giving up their information. Granted, the leagues are different and they don't require that, but it, it was weird to me how it played out. And obviously, what we get 16 minutes of Kevin Durant, you know, as a result. Um, NBA Finals, Ira, you were, you were at almost every game. So let's go back to game five. Um, this one was arguably the best game of the series from a viewing standpoint. You were there. Let's talk about it. Well, I wasn't there. That's in Toronto. I was the one in Golden State. But I was at goal in in L.A., and I'm sitting with Kevin Connolly from Entourage to my left, and then Mr. Wonderful was trying from the uh, Shark Tank, was trying to take my seat, which I didn't give up for the game. Place was packed. It was an awesome environment. So what was he trying to do to get your seat? I know. He's a Toronto. He's from Canada. And he was, was, well, every time I got up, he was like eyeing my seat. He's standing. But I'm not giving up my seat for... uh, 
for unless he was going to invest in it. Maybe he could make an investment in my seat. I don't know if he was going to go 20%, 80% or whatever, however he does it. But um, this game was so exciting because Kevin Durant came back. So you finally, for the first time in a month, saw the Warriors. And and people were worried, like, how's Durant going to play? Like, is, you wanna, like, is he going to just work his way back? And... I mean, Curry, you know, Curry starts, you know, to start the game with a three. And then Durant is playing uh, Siakam. Durant is then playing Leonard. Durant's causing mm. causing turnovers. And then Durant is like two threes to start. Amazing. Just he's coming down, draining threes, playing great on defense. Looks like the the Kevin Durant that we all remember. And you're like, oh, I can't believe he was out. And then uh, they, after the five-minute mark, they took him out of the game, which you expected. But he did play seven straight minutes. But then they brought him back in the game. With, he was only out of the game for a minute and a half, which now they're getting criticized because he was out for so long. He should have been come back. And even on the, but the one play where Abaka undercut him on the floor and he came, like, you're like, oh my gosh, Abaka just like clipped him like a football clip. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Durant just jumps right back up. And then at the end of the first quarter, he's guarding Van Fleet. And Van Fleet's like dribbling all around. And Durant, you saw the quickness. People said, well, that was his first quick move when he hurt himself in the second mm-hmm. quarter. But he had moved around Van Fleet and he was guarding a, a, a foot, a guy foot shorter than he was running around. Um, but it was, 34 to 20 in the first quarter, all the points by Durant, Curry, and Clay. And Leonard was like out of sorts, two for six, six points. Um, and then, but that was, that was in terms of, uh, then he started the second quarter again. And that was where he made, and he had, and Clay started the quarter with two threes. You can see when Durant's in the game, how it opened up for Curry and the Clay. The team plays so different. I'm telling you, that's why this would have been a sweep. I'm going to say it again. If they were all healthy, <laughs> I don't think Toronto wins a game. And I don't think they're close in a game. Because when Durant is playing, it just opens up. Clay's hitting threes. Curry's hitting threes. That's all they need. Everybody else makes passes. It was. It's a shame. It really is a shame. Toronto had their big celebration, their big parade. They should. Be, they should be very thankful they didn't play. Now they won. They won fair and square. They won the title. But, uh, but then when. But when he got hurt. <clears throat> It was weird, and then the fans were on him, were criticizing Durant when he got injured, and uh, were booing him and, and making comments. But uh, then the players, the Toronto players, calmed them down and sort of said they saw how serious it was. And I was like, I was disgusted, you know. I was just, oh, I couldn't believe that he got hurt because you wanted to see. But then the Warriors rallied, like after they saw Durant got mm-hmm. out. Cousins comes in the game, he plays great. They actually took eleven point lead, and uh, um, and then and then what, then it, then even Curry had like a three point play where he shot. But it was like so they took the lead, but then the Raptors. The end of the first half went on a run and caught it, you know, and cut it close by the end of the first uh, first half. You know, there was a, st- a statistic in the game I thought was impressive that um, Kawhi Leonard's regular season record has the highest percentage of anyone in the history of the NBA. Really? Because he's only been on with the Spurs and now the Raptors, which I thought was just hilarious. It but, you know, Curry was on fire. He had 24 points. Thompson had 12. And Durant was out for the game with 11. But then in the second half, um, Van Fleet. I'm telling you, I, I you could almost make a case that Van Fleet, if he was not just an undrafted free agent, he seemed to be the star of this finals. Hubert Brown voted him. Whatever they <laughs> needed of three, he just, every time they start him and he comes in there, but but it was unbelievable how well the Warriors played without Durant, Curry, Godala, Clay, all big threes. He go up 14 points with five minutes to go. This was like the high watermark, the largest lead in the finals for the mm. Warriors. They're up 14 points, and then at this point the Raptors were three and 19 from three. But then Van Fleet drains two big threes uh, and uh, and made it cut it to they went on a 12-0 run, and then it was just they just kept battling back and battling back in that game in terms of staying in there. And uh, and then at the end of the third quarter the Warriors are still up by six points. Um, Leonard was terrible, four or fifteen with five turnovers, missed free throws, and it was weird how they how they started. Now people say, well, without Durant, they're still great, but because it's like the team that won the finals year 
uh, four years ago, but they don't have Harrison Barnes. Mm -hmm. So they are missing that other player that was on the team. But then Ibaka was in the game, and Ibaka played great. He was scoring, blocking shots, uh, playing fa fantastically. But then Leonard hit a three, another big three, 96-95. The crowd was going crazy, and yet that's where he scored. Went on a 12-0 run, was absolutely amazing, and it looked like 12-2 run. It looked like the game was over. But then, you know, everyone's talking about how Leonard played at the end of that fourth quarter, but then he shot an air ball. Lowry missed a three. The Raptors had a 24-second violation. Leonard missed another three. And in the time, they're up nine with two minutes to go. Curry hits a three. Curry, I mean, Leonard, I mean, Clay Thompson's a three. Clay, um, Curry hit a three to tie it. But the game-winning shot was by Thompson, who took the lead. And then they went back and forth, and then they had a chance to win the game. Down one. This was this was amazing. The place is going crazy. They're down because Green has a bad backcourt violation. That was, I mean, to think how how misplayed that entire two minutes of game. <laughs> They're having backcourt violations. They're turnovers. It was a mess. And then Leonard and this play, they could have won it. They had. I think that not having Gasol in the game was a huge mistake because Abaka seemed to be getting the rim wherever they wanted. Leonard drives the ball. Mm -hmm. He's getting trapped. So Clay traps him with a Godala. That he throws it to uh, Van Fleet, who then throws it to Lowry in the corner. But at that point, Draymond Green was guarding two people. All they had to do, I mean, it was like it, it, they throw it to one, and they just needed one point, and Lowry misses the shot. So suddenly, instead of being up, winning the series, winning your first title, now you have to go back to Golden State. Terrible coaching. I thought that was, and then the other point was, were nurse. I thought that was Nurse's big mistake, not the fact that when they're up nine, they called a timeout. Mm -hmm. Because under this rule in the NBA, it's a use it or lose a timeout. They've been doing that all year. And if you watch a lot of the NBA, all the teams do that because you have this timeout under three minutes because Silver didn't like the fact that at the end of the games, there's too much timeouts back and forth. So that's why they they uh, they called that timeout. I'm not criticizing the timeout. The team was tired, but I am criticizing that final play. But uh, and then that brought back to Game Six, and I'm there at the NBA Finals. Well, by the way, you're listening to Iron Sports. It's the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo at 726. Right, let's talk about it, Ira. Game six, you were there. Well, it was exciting to be at the game. I was sitting right behind Adam Silver and Jesse Jackson. Now, I know those are two, but they both, I mean, a few rows behind Adam Silver, a few rows behind Jesse Jackson. And the ticket prices were actually less for this game than games one or two. I don't think the really mainly because the Raptor fans didn't come. I think the Raptor fans were saying, I'm waiting for game seven. That's what they're waiting for. They were there for game two, but there was less Raptor fans for game uh, six than there was for game two. Um, but this was this was a tremendous game. It was the last game at Oracle, 2,070 games, 343rd consecutive sellout. There was in the game 18 lead changes and nine ties. But Kyle Lowry, who has been the most criticized mm -hmm. Raptor, goes out to the game. He and Siak, Pascal Siakam, they, they scored the, the first 19 points of the game, draining threes left and right. Clay Thompson was tremendous. It just absolutely amazing. Yeah. Making plays, making threes. It was 33-32 at the end of the first. And then at the beginning, end of the second, I think Van Fleet must lead the record for threes at the start of a quarter. Drains with another <laughs> big three. And But I like what the Warriors were doing. They were pushing the ball. They were running. Everything was great. Clay was getting fouled, shooting, fouling, shooting three-point shots. And uh, it was just, it was, they were up by three at halftime. But I just felt like the Warriors had this game. Like, you just, without even without Durant, I mm. thought Clay, Clay and Curry were enough and green were well enough to do this. They start the second half. What happens? Van Fleet. This third quarters were always the key. And Van Fleet was the one, when they put Van Fleet in the game instead of Danny Green, he's hitting those threes. And those threes kept him in the game in that whole time. And Leonard had four fouls. 
Lowry has four fouls. Um, and then at 85-83, Iguodala hits a huge three to go up 88-83. But then, uh, uh, but then, but then it's but at 88-83. But then they score again. Like it seems like they could never. The Warriors couldn't get the separation that they had the last game. Um, but at the end of the second quarter, that's when Clay made a steal, drives to the basket. Danny Green fouls him, and. Being in the arena and seeing Clay get hurt, I think people, everybody realized it was serious. Like, he gets hurt and, like, whatever. And then, and no one knew. You're sitting there, you took waiting. the collective wind out of everything. He runs in the locker room, then he comes back, then they were reviewing it to see if it's if other, because the rule in the NBA, people don't understand, is that if you don't shoot your free throws, it's like baseball you're, or soccer, you're out of the game. You can't come yeah. back. So he goes to the locker room, comes back to shoot the free throws, and then you're like, he's fine. But then you see Cousins foul, and then you're thinking you're going to check his knee out. But then you hear the rumors, oh, he's out, he's out. I mean, people said he's jumping in the tunnel. I could just see barely him in the tunnel. You saw his father in the tunnel. But when then you hear that he had an ACL tear, I mean, you heard that it's serious. And then it was just, it was... You knew, then you're waiting for Curry. Like, this was the stage for Steph Curry to, like, say, okay, Durant's gone, Thompson's gone, I'm going to be a superstar. And he's getting criticized. He did not have a good fourth quarter, but the Raptors realized that, and they were guarding him the entire time, and they were stopping him. It was really, but at the end, Leonard did did nothing even in the fourth quarter. And it was, it was, it was, it was really the, 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 uh, the subs who, who played so well. I mean, Cousins, the, what was killing them was that was that Curry shot six for six from the foul line. Clay shot ten for ten. But Draymond Green zero oh for two. Iguodala one for five, and Cousins four for seven. They were missing the foul shots. They couldn't. They, and that was that was that was that was what was causing them a lot. And Curry for the fourth quarter was one for five shooting. And uh, um, it was just it was just did not have a good fourth quarter. Uh, but at the end of the game, they still had their chance. Leonard was dribbling up the ball. They have their they have the lead by by one. And they, Leonard has the ball, and he throws it to Green. He throws it to Siakam, giving the Warriors that final shot. Mm-hmm. They got what they wanted. They got uh, Curry. But I don't know if that was the play. I, I have to say he shot the three. You're down one with nine seconds to go. I, I thought that when Iguodala inbounded the ball, if he would have cut to the basket. I've watched this play like 10 times. I, he was going to be wide open. They didn't guard him. They ran to double. Curry's on the other side. So they could have done that same thing, I think, what the Raptors made a mistake when they ran to double Curry. Mm-hmm. I think they should have just cut to the basket. Shooting the three made no sense. Like Lowry the day before shot the three. I think shooting the two would have been a much Isn't better Isn't it indicative look. of today's NBA? Yeah, it's sort of. But, <laughs> you, but you expect Curry to make those shots. You want Curry. I mean, he was for the game. Six for 17, three for 11, 21 points. Iguodala played great. Nine for 15, 22 points. But Draymond Green had eight turnovers. Uh, Thompson had 30 points in 30 minutes. I mean, this guy would have scored. 50, he would have scored 50 points. He was on such. He was. Uh, he was tremendous. I mean, it was. It was one of those things that I felt like. They had, I mean, and, and if they went back to Game Seven, so then people say, well, they would have never won Game Seven they, because Clay would have torn ACL to rant out of the game. But I wanted Curry to get that win. Like I wanted, I mean, I think yeah. everyone in, in Golden State wanted that, and it was just, uh, I mean, Van Fleet hit those threes. They were up. The Raptors at three forty six were up one hundred four, one hundred one. Van Fleet hit a three. Um, it was, it was just, and, and and at the end of the game, Green hit some threes, and Cousins was getting the basket, but it was really Siakam and Lowry and Van Fleet that were making these plays for Toronto. Uh, Leonard won, of course, the. MVP, mm-hmm. but I'm telling you, anyone who saw Van Fleet, undrafted free agent from Wichita State, who played in the G League, Pascal Siakin and Van Fleet both played in the G League, and Nick Nurse coached in the G League. So it just shows you how these players develop and how you get a player development um, and become the star players. There's a lot of talk today about how the notion of a super team might have been ended by this Toronto Raptors team. Because like you said, there's no lottery picks on this team. 
Kawhi Leonard is a superstar, arguably the best player in the entire league. He's not a lottery pick. He averaged seven points his first year. I mean, all these guys, their first year, if you look at it, you add up their totals, the entire team, no one, I think, averaged more than six or seven points their first year. They didn't come in the league scoring 15, even 16 points a game. Um, Tremendous. It was absolutely. um, And the trade, it it justifies the trade for, I mean, what I don't like about the Toronto win, what concerns me about it is that Kawhi Leonard played 60 games this year. And I think you're going to start out for load management. I think that's bad. For the league, yeah. if all if you're playing 82 games and your stars only playing 60, I mean, if if Tom Brady only played. 12 games yeah, a year. Imagine. I mean, on purpose. Like, they're sitting Tom Brady yeah. out this game. I think people would be upset. I think it's a problem. I, um, They they stretch the season out. It's it's long, but now they're still, they're only playing two days a week. And that's one reason why Leonard might resign with Toronto. They said, look, I only want to play 60 games. That's what we're going to do. And that's what they did. And I don't know if these other teams, he's now played with a team that worked with his schedule. So that's why, as much as I think he is going to leave and he can just demand that other teams do it, but they Toronto did do this perfectly and it played out well. And I would hate for other teams to do this because I want... Otherwise, as what, a spectator, it's not. Good. I go to these these games cost money. You're not. They're not free. They're not preseason. They're regular mm. season games. And and I think, I mean, I I just don't like that. I don't want to see the whole league playing sixty games and have an eighty two game schedule because then you're buying tickets and like, oh, I hope he plays that game. And if they're, I just I think it's a problem for the league. And and Silver said, look, we stretched it out. It wasn't as bad as the year before because on the high profile games, he made sure if the games are on ABC Saturday night, everybody's playing. But. Oh, what about Tuesday night when Miami plays Toronto mm-hmm. and then we don't have them? No, that that's who suffers in this is the small guy fan, especially the person who's in a market that isn't a big draw. And you know, okay, the Lakers are coming to town. I get to see LeBron James play. He sits out. That ruins the entire year for some teams that you know, like a Charlotte that might be just sitting back waiting for him to show up. So. Uh, I get both ways, and I think you're absolutely right. I think the Raptors did everything humanly possible to keep Kawhi Leonard in Canada. What would you say, if you had to give it odds, 50%, 40%, that Kawhi Leonard is a Raptor next season? What do you think? Maybe 25%. Yeah. They had that press. They had the speech today. He said it, it was amazing, the parade. million and a half people there. Um, and he really gave no indication. He's like, I'll be back. Not just say I'll be back, but he said, just enjoy this experience. So just enjoy this one thing. Mm-hmm. I, it's almost like maybe I think he's going to yeah. go to the Clippers. I think that's where he wants to play. He wants to be in L.A., and I think that's what he's going to do. I, I agree with you. Before we move on, real quick, you, you kind of touched on it earlier with Steph. Where does this – or how does this affect his legacy, do you think? To me – Steph takes a little bit of a hit. I, I think two years ago, people would have said he's a top five player in the league. I don't think he is. He averaged thirty points in the in the in the play in the finals. Um, he still played great. I think he is. I think there is a problem. I think he had his chance to expand. He can't his, take over the game like he has been able. He to He does the during the regular season. I watched the Warriors enough of the regular season. Yeah, you know, in it's the just weird. Season. He hasn't done well in the finals, and I feel bad. And then you have people like Max Kellerman that blast him left and right. I feel bad. I felt this was a perfect opportunity for for Steph to actually cement his own legacy. He didn't take advantage. Of it. I think his legacy what it is. I don't think he improved it. I think it's what people think it is. So people say I think it, but I I feel bad for him because I think he's a. Great great guy, a great player who just... He's great. And he just did not have that fourth quarter. And it's hard for him to get the shots by himself and, and they just didn't run the right plays. Would you like to talk about the NBA draft here for a minute or two? Just for one minute, yeah. uh, I'm going to... Zion, it'll be for... Zion, I mean, Zion to uh, New Orleans will be ex- super exciting. Uh, J- John Morant to Memphis, R.J. Barrett to the Knicks, and then probably Garland to New Orleans. It'll it, The first uh, nine picks will be exciting. I, I like the Garland pick, but now they're going to be over-encumbered with guards. But it's, that doesn't 
matter. It's okay in, this, in the, this, this NBA. NBA. Yeah. For Miami, Nassar Little was a player who people thought was better than Zion coming into this year. So it was interesting to see. He's a, he's a, went to North Carolina. And Tyler Hero is a great shooter for Kentucky, maybe the best shooter in the draft. So we'll see who they pick. But we're definitely next week going to spend a lot of time talking about the draft. Uh, no, I can't wait for that. And this is a draft I'm pretty excited about. I think there might be some shakeups. By the way, it's Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. It's 736. At 745, we're joined by Dr. Richard Shore, a former NBA team doctor. Got a lot to talk with him about. Then John Graham, a professional putting coach, joins us at 755. Speaking of putting, I want to talk so much about the U.S. Open. Pebble Beach, I think, for any golfer, it's on your bucket list. You got to check it out um, pretty much in, in its entirety uh, over the past weekend. So tell us about your journey to Pebble Beach. First of all, it's difficult to get there. It's not... It's in San Francisco. It's it's in the Bay Area, but it's still like two and a half hours. I mean, I drove to the airport after the uh, last night. It was three hours to the airport. Um, everyone says how beautiful the course is. It actually lives up to expectations. It is yeah. that beautiful? You have six holes, seven holes, right on the water. And when they're in the water, it is on the cliffs with an ocean and the beaches and everything. It is very. It's beautiful to see. And that's not just enough of it. There's these trees that are remarkable, uh, and that's beautiful too. Alone, if you just had the trees, you would look like say Augusta. But then you have the trees and the water, and then you have these houses. You have some modern houses, but then you have some things that look like castles. Mm -hmm. So you have like castles in the middle. Yeah, on it, TV you're like, where? What country is this? It is so <laughs> pretty, and it is so it is it is a tremendous course to watch. It is not the easiest course. It's not like the Honda to walk around. There are some. It's difficulty. There are maybe six tees you can't get to. They put the tees back. You can't actually get close. But the tees you can get close to, you can be right around the golfers, and they were great letting you take pictures. They they, they no one was stopping anything. You could get all. Around my stool was fantastic. It was great to get. I saw. I got some amazing shots. You can get Iron Sports the Instagram account to get my pictures. Mm -hmm. But it was great to get those pictures. But there was the. It was hard to follow a couple holes. Four and seventeen joined up together. So when you're on four and seventeen, they actually were, were teeing off like next to each other. And one time, you Tiger, don't see that on TV. Tiger was teeing off on seventeen, and Rory was on four, and it was like impossible. And I got stuck in the middle for like twenty minutes. I couldn't move. <laughs> like people, half people were moving one way, half the people were next. It was a total train wreck. And uh, but. I did think that it was it was uh, also when you're looking out in the ocean, you can see the boats and the kayakers and the yachts. I mean, everything you would want to see that's beautiful. Dogs running on beaches. I mean, I think that I listen. I had a headset so you could hear the Sirius Satellite Radio announcements, and they went a little over the top. It was like describe the golf. Well, enough about the dogs. Enough about like one time the guy says there's hundreds of people on the beach. I counted like 50. You know, and then it was so funny when you listen to Sirius Satellite Radio. Some of the announcers one time said, "I'm standing over the ball." Well, I was standing over Jordan Spieth's ball. Like he wasn't standing <laughs> over the ball. He's like he was like a mile away, like across. I could see where they were broadcasting. I'm like, I'm over the ball. You're nowhere near that. And it was like, so you could hear these announcers. Sounds like the media. But yeah, like making these comments about everything. And uh, but it was exciting when the uh, trade for Anthony Davis went down. Steve Kerr was out there on Saturday. Mm -hmm. I'm standing right next to him. And it was weird. They just walked out with his family, no security, no whatever, walking around. Andre Iguodala was out there. Um, Dustin Johnson on Friday was driving the ball. And I saw uh, Joe Montana. Like, Joe Montana walks right by me. It's like, excuse me. And he's like, his arm was in a sling. Like, he had shoulder surgery or something. And I'm like, he just walked right by. Like, it was, it was pretty neat when you're on a <laughs> golf course and seeing everyone out there. But... Uh, uh, definitely the course, you know, definitely uh, lives up to all expectations. It, it looked like it on TV, and, and like you said, I think I would have never been able to tell that 7 and 14 buttered up like that. They, they do portray it well. Side question, do they limit who has access to those beaches in the water? I thought there was entirely 
too few boats and stuff. You got to be some kind of VIP to be able to pull up there, no? Well, it is funny. The, the, the houses, like, this is, like, different. The Honda has a lot of condominiums. Like, there are houses, and, it, and, and I, it took me a while to figure out how to do it. Like, I took this bus, and they put me on a bus, and then you had to go at a staging area. It took forever to go. That was a terrible mistake the first two days. I finally got a parking pass the third day, and that was great to take the parking pass. But it's in, you're, like, in a forest, but you also have these expensive houses around, so it's a combination of everything. And then in the middle of the ground, people who live there get to drive their cars like you see you're waiting and you're looking for carts and everything and then this like uh, Cadillac Escalade just driving down yeah. like a cart path like it's it was hilarious and then they don't it, it's not laid off like the Honda where you can all sit around the holes like the Champions Club and those things there are these grandstands and that's the problem their most majestic holes is like seven that par three on the cliffs which is an amazing hole but I didn't even see it the whole day because you can only see can't it from the stands and there was a line I wasn't going to wait hour an hour to sit in the stands so you don't see that hole at all and eight you can't even see them tee off it's impossible so you have to be in the stands and the stands were by first come first serve which is great but it helped those people that's why i say i can't watch the masters on the final day because i can't sit at a hole i'm running around falling tiger everywhere i'm falling mm -hmm. brooks i can't be standing at a one hole it's one of the reasons why you always say in all the golf you see that the honda classic is one of the most accessible tournaments you know that there is because it is much easier to get around i would never anticipate that where the most picturesque hole you can't see <laughs> when, right. when you're attending um gary woodland i think it's 48 to 72 hours ago. Nobody really knew who this guy was. And he's a champion now. He was in 30 majors before, never higher than six. He's a cool guy because he was a basketball player at college, um, pretty good player. Um, but he was 0 for 7 with 54 hole leads. And he lost, like this year, he was leading the Maui tournament by five strokes and blew that lead. Um, he's known as one of the longest hitters on the tour. But what made him so great in this tournament is that he didn't really use this. His short game was great, his iron game. Mm -hmm. He played great. And certainly on 17, when he hits a chip on a green, that shows a great short game. Um, he's had four victories. He's from Delray, which is uh, not, he's not, he's from Kansas, but he lives in Delray now. But, uh, if you go online, there's a there's a with Amy Bockenstadt, who is a woman, a girl, a woman with Down syndrome, and uh, there was at the waste management. He brought her out for a make for a, yeah. a, a this charity thing, and he she goes, I got this. Like there was she putted, and she was then was, was left herself short, and then she, he was going to take the putt, and she go, and she go, looks at him and says, I got this, and drain like a 15 foot putt, and then uh, she was texting him like, You got this, you got this, mm -hmm. and then he called her FaceTiming like he's a great guy. I mean yeah. that's the one thing these golfers mostly are just phenomenal people and it was I mean he's it's nice you know this is his tournament I think the stories is how great Wood Woodland played he won, won his major I'm not saying this is going to set him up to win more majors this might be the only one he wins which is great for his career Brooks Kepka is the number one player in the world and I think people got to realize that again he was in the running this is ridiculous he I, even on the radio he's not getting he's like Brooks Kepka lost Brooks Kepka is was way ahead if it wasn't for Gary Woodland he'd have now won five out of nine majors in a row he hasn't finished his work and it was the last 16 majors he's had every major has been the top 20 except one it's ridiculous and you're right I give a lot more credit to Gary Woodland than people saying Brooks Kepka didn't win this no Gary Woodland went out and won it Brooks was good though and he's the first person since the height of Tiger that I think you have to be worried about on a Sunday, especially in a major. Oh, but uh, uh, anytime on a Sunday, you have to be ready. You know, the story about it was when he was at the Canadian Open, they were telling the story is that he was at the Canadian Open in the gym and somebody came and looked over to Brooks and says, hey, do you know that Justin Johnson was in here earlier lifting? I got a picture with him. And he's like, like he's just thinking Brooks is another weightlifter. Yeah. <laughs> and he's got the better body yes. than DJ anyway. <laughs> uh, so keep going. Uh, what happened after that? Well, I went on Thursday. I just, I, I, I wasn't... 
Rose took the lead with Fowler and Woods. And then on Friday, I came and I followed Tiger, Spieth, and Rose. Uh, and uh, it was, it was, that was the day that Spieth hit a shot, it hit a rake. And, and, it, and it hit the rake, and he went ballistic on the rake. Now, the day before, he had already yeah, yelled yeah. at Michael Geller, his, his caddy, yeah. about a situation about choosing the wrong club. Then he's mad about the rake. How come I didn't see the rake? How this? I mean, you, J- Jordan was not happy walking around the golf course. I mean, he wasn't— Which it is was, rare for him. And it, it just was not a good situation. And uh, I, the other little things, I want to point out little things I saw that you didn't really see on TV. So DJ and Phil were playing. DJ lost his ball in the water. And Phil, as we talked about how searching for the ball, Phil gave the most half-hearted effort to try to find this ball. Like, he's not walking down. <laughs> <laughs> He's not looking for that ball at all. And uh, but that's when Woodland then was able shot a sixty five, and then he took control of the tournament uh, with Rose. That set Rose, uh, you know, then Rose and McElroy. Rose looked really good, yeah. and Rose still was in there. And still, I mean, this was really a three person tournament: Kepka, Rose, and Woodland. I mean, those were really who you're ta- mm-hmm. thinking about. People thought McElroy might have a shot, but then, but then he didn't. And then on Saturday, I got out there. Now that was a day where you're following Tiger. Everyone's yelling at me, "You're following Tiger," but you know, I'm at the Pebble Beach. He won this tournament by fifteen. It's one of the greatest golf performances, and to see Tiger play. And his galleries were bigger than everyone else the whole day. Of course. By far. I mean, it's not. How does Kepka stack? My, um, not, nothing. Not, Kepka was nothing compared to them. And in Woodland and, and Woodland, it, it, they, they flee. Kepka's gallery was bigger than Woodland's gallery uh, on yeah, Sunday. Uh, but, um, but it was like, it was, it was, it was on Saturday. Uh, the first seven holes are the easiest, but he had three bogeys on that day. Started out bad. It was, it was funny. A guy in a tiger suit. I don't know if they caught that on TV. He, he was walking around in a tiger suit all day. He grabbed Tiger's putter or in like, it, Tiger like put it like to shake his hand. And after he putted it, Tiger made two long birdies. On 14 and 16, <laughs> it was unbelievable. It was like, and so it was like, it was like, oh my gosh, like Tiger must be looking for this guy in the stupid Tiger short to uh, to do that. On three, it was funny. Rory got yelled at by fans. We're talking about the heckling and things like that. Mm-hmm. Rory. Some Irish person sold at him, and Rory got mad. And then the person was like, the phone rang, and he was like really getting upset. And then he bogeys the hole. He didn't really handle that well, uh, that at well. And uh, I loved how Kepka plays. Kepka is so calm, so methodical. methodical. I mean, on fourteen, he hit the ball. And it was like 100 yards to the green. He walked up the 100 yards, came back, but walks fast. Like he doesn't, he plays really fast. But when mm-hmm. he has to take his time on a shot, he takes his time. And uh, uh, just as was exciting. You're right, though. It looks like he's marching down the fairway. I like that, though. Yeah. And then, and at the end of the day, uh, Woodland was 11, Rose 10, Kepka 7, McElroy 6, and Woods was even. So it was really, everyone was thinking, Woodland at 11, it's Woodland, Rose, or Kepka going into Sunday. And the one thing about this tournament that they got a lot of credit for is that people said it was fair. There wasn't some weird things where balls were going down, like at Shinnecock. Um, people for you to, the mm. tournament is fair. The winds made the course easy. Not easy, but there wasn't strong winds. And that's why people say, oh, you got to shoot even. Well, if there was, if it was 50 mile an hour winds, you could see where people were going to shoot a plus 10. Mm-hmm. So, it was I think everyone no one complained it seemed like it was uh, it was it was it was good and then I went to the practice round before the match and it was neat to see Spieth out there warm up Sergio Spieth is out there for an hour and a half Sergio goes out hits five balls and that was it I mean, <laughs> sounds it was like unbelievable. me <laughs> and then I was I was hoping to be in front of Tiger but then Steve Williams who's uh, Jason Day's caddy mm-hmm. is standing right there and I'm like oh he's never going to come out there because Steve and of course Tiger have their issues so and then Bryson Chamblow had TrackMan Plus like he had TrackMan Plus like two other TrackMans he had the most had a whole computer set out there 
but it was great seeing Tiger and Red on Sunday. People saying, "Why are you following him?" Like, why wouldn't I follow Tiger and Red? And uh, the first six holes, he has four bogeys. Everyone's all on Tiger's case, this and that. And then he played the final whatever twelve holes as the best on Sunday. I mean, he had six Crazy. birdies and no bogeys, and making putts left and right. And I loved it. I mean, people are all on Tiger's case on the radio, and I'm like, he finished minus two. He finished twenty first. It was cold. It was damp. He had tape all over himself. I thought he played. I, I think he showed that he cared. I mean, he finished ahead of Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, all these superstar golfers. Like, I don't, I'm not criticizing him at all. But at one point, Woodland was at 12, Kepka was a, as at 11, and Rose fell out. Rose was making bogey after bogey after bogey. And, uh, um, and then, but the, but the key was when Woodland birdied 14, that gave him a two-hole gap on, yeah. on Kepka. And Kepka had a shot at, at 15 uh, where, where he, he, he just uh, you know just got a par, and they parred 16 and 17. And then on 17, Kepka had a chance that eagle. Like, I was following him when he's going down, and he was in – that chip could have been an eagle chip, and then he went too far. You can see he mm-hmm. just missed it. But then I wasn't watching Woodland. I had to make decisions. Do I watch <laughs> Woodland? And then I, I, we hear Woodland, the roar on 17, yeah. when Woodland chips across the green and then you saw Woodland on 18 so could not he's not going to pull a Van Veld he's not going to do something stupid and he just played that perfectly to come in on it and that's a hard I mean 18 is right on the water you could you know people hit mm-hmm. that ball played it conservatively but still birdied the hole on a par five so um that was that was it was definitely one of the uh it was it, it, a great win for Woodland my respect for Kepka again in the majors I look Jack Nicklaus finished second in majors 18 times also it's ridiculous uh, the run that he's been on eight million dollars I think in his last six majors. That's not a bad, a bad amount of money to have taken in. Uh, Seven forty nine. This is Iron Sports, the True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. It's time to bring in Doctor Richard Shore, uh, NBA team doctor, former NBA team doctor. Ira, what do you have for Doctor Shore? Because this is there's so much to talk about. Doctor Shore, thanks a lot for coming on. Oh, glad to be here, Ira. So this whole week we've been hearing about. Uh, you've been, I know you were, te- we're not going to identify the team, but you've been team doctor for 20 years uh, in the NBA. Um, we've been hearing a lot about Kevin Durant and did the doctors force him to come back? Did they not force him to come back? Were they given the right information? Uh, just maybe your impression about what happened with the Kevin Durant. I know you're not familiar. You haven't examined his, his injury. You don't know. But in terms of being a doctor, tell us maybe about the pressures that, that, that the team doctors do have under them in situations like what Durant has where you are in the NBA Finals and you are trying to get the player back. But again, you don't want to have a long-term injury affect them. Well, it really depends on the culture of the team, uh, the relationship of the, of the doctor to the team, the, the doctors to the agents, uh, the players to the agents. So there's, there's a lot of dynamics that go on. And in general, to be comfortable being a team doctor, you want to be able to do what's best for the player from a long-term standpoint. Having said that, you don't, you don't always know. It's not, it's not like there's a, a scientific way to say, well, if you go on the court, and you have a calf strain and you go back and play a month later, there's going to be X amount of chance that you're going to have an Achilles rupture. We don't know if the Achilles rupture was one of the the potential or an early Achilles rupture or potential Achilles rupture was causing his calf pain to begin with. Or we don't know if when he was compensating for that, he put more stress on the Achilles. Um, you know, these guys, they, especially the Warriors, they play so much, they don't get much off time. And they're playing really hard at the end. You know, they're putting in a lot of minutes. I think that Kevin Durant had to put a lot of minutes in, uh, you know, when they were playing the Rockets. And um, I, I think that 
what happens is that you things tend to wear down a little bit. You know, when for instance, when people lift weights, the way that you lift weights is you lift weights to tear down muscle and tissue. Your body tears it down, and you rest for two or three days. It builds it back up again, better than it was before. And then you rest again, and then you lift again. You tear it down, build it up again. Well, you're not getting a chance to do this. Now, the playoffs are a little bit better because you have more space in between each game. But you, you can get worn down after a while. And so what's happening is when you're worn down like this, you change your body dynamics. You might put more stress on the other leg as well, more stress maybe on his knee because his calf is hurt, more, more stress on the ankle and the Achilles. There's really no great formula for that. And what they need to do is they really need to go on – you like the MRIs. The MRIs can be very helpful. If you have a good person who knows how to do it, sometimes we can get it done with contrast. You can use ultrasound, other imaging uh, studies besides that. And the idea is that you want somebody to have a chance to heal up. You, you don't, scar tissue is not as strong as muscle healing to muscle. And so you want, you want to get pretty solid scar tissue in there, say if you did have a calf strain. And you, you just don't know exactly for which individual what that's going to be. Now, sometimes you can have a big gap that shows up there. You'll see a water density in between the two muscles, and that helps quite a bit. And then you can watch it as it goes down in the serial MRIs. You can see how somebody responds not only to, you know, to therapy, but also you can put them on certain physical therapy machines that can measure your, your muscle strength and endurance and get some clues that way. Nobody really wants to send somebody back and, and put them in danger of having a, a, a career-altering injury, which is essentially what an Achilles is. Uh, he can come back and do very well. I mean, Boogie Cousins seems to be doing pretty well, but if you remember, he came back, and, and there's been a study where when you come back from an injury like that, there's an increased chance you can have an injury somewhere else. And Boogie Cousins, you know, he, you, you know, he tore his Achilles, then he came back, and then he tore his quadriceps. That's not that unusual to happen in that next year after that injury. It typically takes a couple years to sort of get back to where you were before. And in general, you know, once you hurt the Achilles, you're not going to necessarily get all of the explosiveness you had before. Maybe you know, hopefully 85 90%. A player that's as skilled and as tall and rangy as he is can do very well being 85 or 90%. percent still be you know, one of the best players in the league with that. Um, in terms of the connection, and to, let's get back to Clay. Clay hurts his ACL in the, or hurts his knee. There was an issue in game six where he hurts his knee, comes back and he shoots the free throws, runs down the court, but then they take him out of the game. And some people are saying, well, he could have stayed on the court with the ACL. He only had a quarter to go. It, you know, the whole season depended on him. What, how, did, how was it Clay able to make those two free throws, come back and actually run down the court? It, he didn't just shoot the free throws and, and hobble off. He actually was running down the court on defense when they called the penalty. Well, just to back up a little bit, I know you didn't ask this, but remember that he had torn or he had injured his, his um, hamstrings before. And so there's another guy. Now he's got to hurt hamstrings, and then something else goes. Now, I'm not sure that his ACL would have happened whether or not he hurt his hamstring or not. But, again, even though his hamstring was good, it wasn't great. It wasn't perfect. And that made it had a way that he was altering his body dynamics. When you tear an ACL, an anterior cruciate ligament, <clears throat> there's other parts of your knee, areas of secondary constraints, that can help to support your knee. So... You, somebody may tear their ACL only and still have, have a relatively stable knee. Uh, you know, the meniscus may be in good shape. The other ligaments are in good shape. 
He's got good muscle tone in his quadriceps and his hamstrings. And so a guy like that may have a relatively stable knee after just tearing an ACL. Another guy may, at the same time he tears his ACL, tear his secondary constraints as well, and then he'll have a very wobbly knee. So I think what happened with Clay Thompson was that he probably didn't tear all of his secondary constraints, which gave him some more stability. And then a lot of what happens with these players is what's between their ears. And everybody knows what a tough player he is. I think that he only missed one playoff game uh, in his whole career before he tore his hamstring, uh, you know, a few games before that. And he's just a tough guy that really had the will to be out there. But if you go out there and you have an unstable knee, he's going to try to stop on his knee again. And the next thing he's going to do is he's going to tear his medial meniscus, his lateral meniscus, or both. He may tear some more secondary constraints. He might tear his medial collateral ligament, lateral collateral ligament, posterior collateral ligament. You don't know what else he's going to do to himself. So there's a huge danger of really wrecking his knee if he goes out there and plays anymore. It would just be stupid to let him play. So that Even was... if he gave him a knee brace, that just wouldn't be – they had no choice but to pull him in uh, after he shot his free throws. We're talking to Dr. Richard Shore on Ira Sport, Iron Sports, former NBA team doctor. I know Dr. Shore that not only working with the NBA, you work with professional golfers and and NFL football players. And I just want to turn to Tiger for one second. Um, Tiger, you saw there was KT tape on his uh, his his neck. Um, he's been saying he's been having some neck and shoulder pain. Uh, and but he says, and they ask him like, "What's the matter with you?" And he said, "Nothing. It's just that I, every time I hit the ball, I hurt." <laughs> and those things. Now his back it doesn't seem to be bothering him, but he does. He's getting pain. I guess other places of the body and describe sort of like what after back fusion surgery, you know, what, what is, you know, what are we seeing from tiger and, and can we expect him to repeat his master performance? I mean that performance, but actually pay play semi pain free in order to win tournaments. Well, everybody, you know, when you hit the age of about 25, the discs in your neck and your back start to dry up. You have some degenerative changes in there. And so, <clears throat> the fact, and then the golf swing, remember, I mean, he's been playing, I think, literally on TV. I think he started hitting the ball when he was three years old. And so what happens is that it's the same motion over and over and over. It's not like basketball or football where you're doing a bunch of different things. Golf, you're doing the same thing over and over many, many times a day. Uh, you know, just imagine a lifetime of the same motion. So, you know, he, he's, he's rotating his spine. He, he's flexing it. He's putting a lot of pressure. He's had to have some fusions in his back. Anytime you fuse a level, then the, the levels above and below those fusions have to take up that extra motion. And, they, and this is somebody who's prone to develop back problems anyway in a, in a lot of cases. And so what happens is that you're accelerating the, gener- the generation above and below those areas of the fusion. As far as his spine, if his lumbar spine is fused, it's going to put more pressure on the rest of them as far as his swing goes. Anybody his age is going to have degenerative changes in their neck. It's not unusual for somebody in their 40s to have uh, have had multiple episodes of pain in their neck, maybe even occasional pinched nerves in the neck, where they may get a little numbness and tingling, uh, you know, going down into their fingers or their thumb. So what's happening with him is he's got the degeneration in his back. We know he's had some knee problems before that have been well publicized. I think he's had some foot issues. And it's uh, not unusual to have problems with his neck as well. So he probably is hurting uh, most every day. And, you know, when you're playing some of these places, it's not like it's a 
sunny and clear and everything feels real good. You can be playing in cold, windy, wet weather, and that certainly, you know, the change in barometric pressure can absolutely uh, cause an increase in pain and, and muscle spasm. So it's, uh, and I think someone like him, I think he gets up pretty early and, and, and warms up and uh, gets his body temperature up and stretches, does, you know, a lot of things like that to prevent injury when he's out there playing, doing this, you know, these swings. Well, Dr. Shore, thank you so much. For- I think the fact that- uh, Dr. Shore, thank you so much for coming on uh, on Iron Sports. I really appreciate it for your insight into the Durant. I mean, you're, it's certainly the, it, it seems like so many people are talking about injuries that really aren't doctors uh, and, and describing things and like they know it all. So I appreciate you at least coming and giving your your insight into this. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. You're listening to Iron Sports. This is 95.9, the True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. It's eight o'clock on the dot. <clears throat> We're still gonna have time to get to John Graham in here. We'll have him in just a second. Real quick though, Ira, we've been talking a lot of hockey lately on this show. And is anything more impressive than a last place team in January changing their coach and then bouncing back to win a Stanley Cup title? I didn't think I was going to see it. I thought Boston would be able to, um, you know, just negotiate the waters better. But congratulations to Craig Berube and everyone in St. Louis. Uh, we said we had last week. We said Binghamton was going to be outplayed by Trask. And, I thought so. And, yeah. and Binghamton played great. I mean, the first Boston did everything. You said got to start fast. Boston was out shooting them. I mean, it was crazy. It seemed like it was like twenty shots to one, and they couldn't score. And then suddenly they're down two zero. When you've been out score out shoot someone, and then you're down two zero. And then it's uh, it was in in the first quarter, first period, and then uh, they just pouted on. And I was at a in L. A. with all the Bruin fans at Sunny McLean's, packed, wrapped around the block. People, I. Never seen so many fans at a mm-hmm. bar in my life, and just so dis- much disappointment. I mean, they Boston expected victory, and give your hats off for St. Louis. Great win, uh, and uh, Bimington as a rookie goalie—not just a rookie goalie, someone who's been in the minors for a while. He yeah, wasn't—he he's, he's was a journeyman. It was well, a, a journeyman, yeah. a minor league player, and to come in and now at the at the last eleven years, four times coaches have been replaced in midseason, and they've won Stanley Cup. So I think everyone, if you're a coach at the NHL, expect to get fired in the middle your, of the year. Your Penguins <laughs> did it with Mike Sullivan. Yeah. And replace him, but you know now in basketball too, we just saw the coach of the year get fired, only for the team to win the title the next year. That doesn't happen in football. Um, all right, it's time to bring in John Graham, a professional putting coach, good friend of uh, Iron Sports here. John, so much to talk about. We've we've covered a lot of golf. Ira, what do you have for John? John, um, Gary Woodland, what do you know about him? I'm sure you know, you're out there all the time, uh, and he's been known as the long driver. But to see his putting this week, this this uh, tournament was tremendous. Yeah, it was incredible. Uh, in the fall, kind of late fall, he started working with a new putting coach named Silk Kenyon from the UK. And um, uh, his short game guy, a guy named Pete Cowell, I don't know who does his full swing, but, but Phil, uh, he's one of the best out there. And he, uh, he met Gary Rowland. I mean, no question. I've never seen anything like it. Um, in terms of in terms of that in the final round when Brooks is hanging in there. Oh, actually, I wanted to get to the seventeenth. I mean, are you teaching your uh, pupils to uh, chip on a on a green <laughs> to go across? I mean, have you ever seen a shot like that before? Uh, actually, yeah, it's it's a it's it's a skill test that we do quite often. Actually, if uh, if a person's chipping correctly, uh, they should be able to chip off the green with absolutely no problem. The, the trick isn't so much. Um, Hitting the ball well, the, the trick is being comfortable enough that you're not going to hurt the surface. Most people are more worried about hurting the green than actually hitting the shot. So they end up messing up that way. But if you're not, uh, if you're not worried about that, your technique is good. 
uh, you can't hit the green. It's, it's perfectly fine. Um, a lot of the commentators been saying about the uh, the conditions at Pebble Beach. It wasn't like the greens at Shinnecock, um, where the balls were just you were hitting it on the rolling. When when Phil got so frustrated, he actually ran and hit the ball while it was rolling. Um, it seemed like right, it, it seemed right. like the greens played fair. Was that your impression that the greens were playing pretty fair for for the golfers? No question. I, I mean, uh, when I got there, I got there Monday. Uh, the, the whole course was quite soft, and. Uh, they could have kind of gone any different way with it at, at that point in time. There was enough moisture that they could kind of leave it that way. There was enough moisture they could dry it out. It would be fine. The, 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 the trick is, and the same thing kind of happened at Shinnecock, is it was the wind more so than it was the green surfaces. Now, sort of they dry it out for the weekend and all that. That's normal. But then also the wind picked up Saturday at Shinnecock, and they were more worried about that. And if that also happened at Pebble, now the whole thing goes downhill again. Uh, this weekend, there really wasn't that much wind relative to what can be a pebble. So a little bit of softness, a little bit of no wind, and they were able to take advantage of it on the greens. And in terms of, I didn't know if you got a chance to watch uh, Tiger play at all. I mean, and everyone gets on me for copying about Tiger all the time, but he, of course, he had the largest galleries the whole week. Um, any sure. impressions? Did you get to see Tiger and how he was putting? I mean, he was definitely having trouble with his putts uh, in, in a short game, really. It was, it was driving well. It was just it was the iron play that seemed to be str- he was struggling with. Any, any comments in terms of how Tiger was putting during the week? Um, well, I, I didn't see him so much on the course. I didn't see him in practice. It seemed like uh, he was really kind of having a tough time getting his feet to match up with his pictures. Um, when you listen to Tiger talk a lot, he's always got a very clear image of what the ball should do on the ground, and that equals both the direction and the speed. And the piece that he couldn't just get matched up was the speed to the, his picture. So once those two things don't match, the, the picture just gets thrown out the water, and you got nothing to work with. You've got to get both a good picture and a speed that matches that picture, actually like the picture come out. And uh, it looked like he was struggling there. And, John, one fine qu- final question. We're talking to John Graham, uh, noted p- p- uh, putting expert. Uh, John, first of all, tell us uh, how people can get in touch with you, or your websites or whatever, uh, in terms of uh, following you on, on social media. Sure. The easiest way on social media is uh, under the hashtag or, or at symbol at John Graham Golf. Uh, same on Instagram. Uh, Twitter, mostly I don't do hardly any Facebook. Uh, and then my partner, uh, James Rudyard, and I have a website where we have some short game videos, putting and let's play at shortgamesecrets.tv. Uh, we've got a bunch of different video sets there for anybody else to kind of check out what, what we both do. And, and one final question. I want to talk about Brooks for a second. I mean, I saw him on, I think it was 15, yeah. and he is so calm. He's sitting off the green in the rough. The, uh, a marshal is walking through. He's like, and it was the other golfers were like yelling at that different people that interrupted him. He just sort of was laughing. The woman just stopped. Everybody was looking at this woman. She didn't have to go left or right. And he goes, you can go either direction. Yeah. Don't worry. He seemed, he was so calm. What, give me your impression of Brooks Kepka, who's now, you know, two seconds and one first in majors this year. Well, I, I think you nailed it. I mean, even in his interviews, when you, when you talk to him, he, he's always that kind of way where he understands that life happens while golf happens and that there's a lot of things that you can't control. The only things that you can control are kind of how you react to the things that you can't control. And, and I think he's a master at that. I thought for sure he was going to come back and win uh, after he started out with those four quick days. But, you know, when you listen to him in his interviews, he talks about, you know, other players and how he thinks they're whining and complaining all the time. And he's like, Dude, it's the same course for all of us. Let's just deal with it. We'll play the best. Whoever shoots the lowest score wins. And I think that's just the way he approaches the game and the way he approaches the practice, the way he approaches life. 
and it's a it's a great skill. It's a difficult one uh, for a lot of players to get comfortable with that just accept what occurs. Uh, but he's got it in spades. Well, John, thanks a lot for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Maybe we'll talk to you after the British Open, but I really appreciate you coming on and uh, giving your insight about uh, the U.S. Open. You bet. Anytime. Happy to be back. 807, Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. We're way over, Ira, but I love breaking news stories on this show, and that's what we're going to do. We were talking hockey earlier. The New York Rangers just acquired star defenseman Jacob Truba from the Winnipeg Jets for basically nothing. Their first, their second first-round draft pick, plus a guy named Neil Pionk. Rangers already in a full rebuild mode, getting an all-star defenseman for basically nothing here. Watch out for your Penguins in the East there. Well, is that what the New York teams do? I mean, they signed they, they, the guy Edwin Encarnacion for nothing. Yeah, <laughs> right. He's For Seattle, so that if people didn't realize that the, the, the Yankees have all all the talent in the world, they go and they were able for absolutely nothing having the person who's leading the league in home runs and just got him on the team. Like, you can have, how much riches can you possibly have? And we <laughs> talked about that. These teams like the Yankees and Dodgers, they could just sign whoever they want. They can bring whatever they want in. And, and their fans are mad at them. They go, we need pitching. We don't need hitting. Like, don't worry. The Yankees will get pitching too. They get anything they want. Yeah, your pitching will come. But when you can get the league leader in home runs, you take them. Real quick before we wrap it up, we'll talk a little boxing eye. Um, Tyson Fury fought on ESPN Plus. They are pushing him. They're calling him. They created a new championship. If ESPN can make whatever they want, they call it a lineal championship, which is they go back to John Sullivan in 1880 and say, now this is the person who beat the person who beat the person who beat the person. And they mm-hmm. get somehow figured out it's Tyson Fury. <laughs> Fury. Even though people have retired amidst all this other stuff, there's been retirement. So nobody ever beat the man who beat the man who beat the man. But he fought uh, Schwartz in a fight uh, and it was great. He had the, the whole showmanship. He is a character. He's funny. He sang after the fight. He gave a whole a, a concert almost for like two songs before the fight he came in like Apollo Creed and Rocky um, he is now they're really building him up he's going to fight Wilder who they had a draw with earlier this year um, with Joshua with Ruiz it's like the heavyweight division ESPN, and, and the fact that ESPN was if you anybody's watching ESPN this week it was just fury fight your fury fight they're, they're built they're, you know finally I think boxing I mean ESPN is really helping boxing it, it's bringing some sort of direction to it and it's neat that they're putting it so much in the forefront it is um, the best it's been since I was a little kid, I, Ira, really, when you look at boxing. We're out of time, though. Uh, Ira, we always talk about it. Where are you headed this week? Maybe the draft. I mean, next week we're going to have – we get to there's, – there's, this week was great. Stanley Cup Finals, uh, NBA Finals, the U.S. Open. Not Besides the draft next week, we're going to talk baseball, get into that. We'll talk about the draft, talk about NBA free agency the, the following week, and football is only two months away. It, it Things slow down a little bit in the world of sports, but not here on Ira on Sports. We'll still have plenty to talk about. I want to thank so much, uh, Dr. Richard Shore, NBA team doctor, also John Graham, professional putting coach, for stopping by. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night, Ira on Sports.